0: We're going to start off today with a test. If you're thinking, oh no, I didn't study for it, you're okay, no one else did either. And this test had the kind of question on it that you always hope for in school when you have to take a test you didn't study for. Not any kind of long, drawn-out question like an essay, like name the 24 best reasons the world has, four seasons, or thing equally boring or drawn-out like that, so there's no essay questions. You're also gonna be very excited to find out. Type of questions on this test are even easier than the ones that you usually like to see on any test you have to take that you chap and study for, those being multiple choice questions. Or as they're known by those engaged in them, multiple guess questions. But thankfully, the questions on this test are even easier than multiple guess. In fact, they are the either-or type of question with only two choices, true or false. And there's only one question on this test. So how about that? It's not too bad, huh? Let's get right into it. The first and only question is a true-false question, and here it is, changes. So answer that, true or false? Looking around, I'm seeing a lot of deer in the headlights kind of looks from you all. I mean, what's the problem? It's a simple one-word, one-question test in which you only have two choices, true or false. So what's the problem? Choices, true or false? Well, if you really need clarification, I'll tell you this. Some changes certainly are true, aren't they? In fact, I saw an article this week about changes you can expect to see in your lifetime. So here, relax, take off the stress of you're having to take this test for just a moment and focus with me on these changes that you will see in your lifetime. Not an exhaustive list, just a few interesting things. First change we'll see in our lifetime is a cash-free society. I think we're really close to seeing that already, don't you? I mean, we have Apple Pay, we have Google Wallet, we have debit cards, credit cards, and they're really already kinda here already. But the next one, this really surprised me. We're gonna see a declining world population. I mean, while the world's population has been steadily and literally growing forever, there are actually some that believe that it's going to round out, it's gonna level off, it's actually gonna decline, and that is really surprising. But how about this one? We're going to see the first person in modern time live to be 150 years old. Who wants to be that person? It's amazing. 150 years old. Got to take her over there. A.J. says, I'll live to be 150. So how old are you now? Okay, so that means you got another 137 years, right? Wow. Okay, there you go. Next, we're going to see the last gasoline car produced. And that's a little bit surprising, but I guess if you're young enough, like 13, then after that, you might be able to actually see that in your lifetime. But incredibly, I saw this week that the car company Tesla, you know, the all electric car company, it's owned by Elon Musk, the guy that owns SpaceX. I saw that the Tesla Motor Company is now worth more than the Ford Motor Company. I couldn't believe it. I guess it shades the things to come. And then finally, in our lifetime, we'll see the end of landline telephones. Has that almost happened already? Does anybody here still have a landline telephone? Uh, okay, well, they do work really well, and, and certainly there's something that all of us still know how to work, so that's good. Those are the five changes that we'll most likely see in our lifetime, depending on how young you are. Back to this morning's test. So, again, the question change is true or false? With some clarification, changes. Are a true thing. Here's the second thing about this one question. (laughs) Actually, it has three parts, so it really looks more like this blank changes blank. Blanks before and after the word changes. And so since it's Easter Day, let's go ahead and let's fill in the blank before changes with that word Easter. So now the question reads Easter changes. True or false? I must admit, they were 100% deer in the headlights when we started out. Now we're only 50% deer in the headlights, so we're making progress. Clarification again: Yes, Easter changes. For instance, Matthew's twenty twenty-eight in the New Century version. Jesus said this, referring to himself. He said, "The Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many people." This we know Jesus did, dying on the cross as payment for our sin or ransom for our sin. And although we've heard this hundreds of times before, it's still kind of interesting, isn't it? This somehow confuses us. Jesus giving up his life is a ransom for us. In fact, there's a show by that name called Ransom that premiered on CBS earlier in January. It's all about solving kidnap and ransom cases. And so to put our reality into the context of that show, we are kidnapped, you and I, and we are being held captive by who, you ask? Well, Second 2 Timothy 2.26 in the New American Standard Bible says, we're being held captive by the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will." And by definition, a snare is just simply a trap for catching a bird or an animal, having a noose of wire or cord. In other words, it's a very small trap which only catches part of the animal, typically with a noose like you see there on the screen. And that noose is usually not obvious. It's hidden or in bushes or something else around it. So what happens to the animal is they get caught in the snare. The noose tightens to the point where they're held captive. And if they struggle enough, the noose gets tighter and tighter to where it chokes the life out of them. And so why in the world does 2 Timothy 2.26 talk about the snare of the devil? I mean, what's up with that? Well, frankly, that's because exactly how the devil does trap us the noose also hidden us as he lures us in it's like that with pornography A person goes to take a quick look at pornography and what happens well a single quick look so easily turns into a longer look and that turns into multiple looks and multiple longer looks more and more frequently and that person's mind starts thinking about the opposite sex and them more frequently in pornography more frequently they begin to look at persons of the opposite sex as sex objects And begin fantasizing about them in more and more situations, even when out publicly with spouse or with loved ones. That person is held captive by the snare of sex, by Satan. And although that person might realize that, they might struggle to get free of that, it's really, really difficult. And something good and pure in that person gets strangled out of them and dies. And it's the very same thing with drugs. The noose is hidden there as well. A single experiment with an illegal drug at a party or in a social situation doesn't really seem that bad. But then there comes the second opportunity, and it seems easier to rationalize than the first time. And depending on the availability of drug, the social pressure, the noose gets set before the person realizes it. And addiction's the result. And it angles out some of the good, pure, and the honest relationships that they have with others. Um, often do almost anything taking advantage of even stealing from those they love and those that love them to get more of the drug a friend of mine beating a serious addiction said there is a high cost to low living and that's the devil's snare with drugs of course is also attached to meaning, seemingly innocent things as well like a person who says oh, i'm a little bit down i'm bored with life thinking i'll just go shopping and i'll buy me something new And so that is going to make me feel better. So they slip the noose on, and then they go shopping. And they do feel better for a while, but then it comes time to do it again, and again, and again. And pretty soon, they're spending money they don't have on things they don't need. And something pure and fresh and joyful and good inside them dies as well. We see that is what 2 Timothy 2.26 tells us about the snare of the devil it holds us captive. As we struggle to get free, it makes us more and more captive. And in that, we are doing Satan's will for us, which is to mess with God's goodness in us and destroy it. So to put our reality into the context of the TV show Ransom, we are the kidnapped and we are held ransom by the snares of the devil, doing his thing often without our even realizing it. And then there are those heroic scenes, you know, you've seen in movies and on television, when somebody steps up to say, hey, I'll trade my life for theirs, so let them go. Well you see, Jesus actually did that, saying, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. And he says to our captor, Satan, uh, you can have me, so set them free. That's exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly why he came. So back to the question, Easter changes true false true. Because Easter provides a way for us to slip out of the snares and even avoid them in the future. So, yes, Easter definitely changes. That's the second part of the question. Here's the third part. Easter changes blank. What should we put in the blank? Let's insert the word everything. Easter changes everything. True or false? One way to answer that would be true. How so? Well, Jesus said he came to give himself as a ransom. That is why he came for Easter. Without Easter, Jesus wouldn't have come. So why is that significant? How does that change everything? Well, take a look with me at these things on the screen. And what do they have in common? Actually, they are checks from banks in the United States, in Iran, India, and in China. And they, along with virtually every other document produced in the entire world, says that our question, Easter changes everything, is actually true. So how could checks from the United States, and especially from India, Iran, and China who don't even believe in God, how could they say that Easter changes everything? What's well, right there on each one of them in their recorded date. They say 2011, 2009, 2007, 2008. And what does that mean? Well, that's the number of years since Jesus was born. So Jesus changes every day how every day, everywhere in the world is written. But Jesus said, I didn't come to be the father of how modern time is written. Jesus said in John 10.10 in the RSV, I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. The Living Bible says, have life in all its fullness. The New Living Translation says, have a rich and satisfying life. And the message says, I have come that they may have a more and better life than they ever dreamed. You see, Jesus came to give us a life filled not with Satan's snares, but filled with God's wares. And what kind of wares does God have for us? Ephesians twenty-two, twenty-three, 23 in the New Living Translation tells us, it says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And these wares make us more aware of the snares of Satan, intended to take us down and to take part of our hearts captive and not let them go. So, Easter changes everything externally in the dates used by everyone everywhere up to eternity, forever. But Easter's real focus is In each of us is refocusing us internally in preparing us for eternity, for our being with God forever. So this Easter that we've been talking about so far is just the basic 1.0 version, just the facts about Easter. Or as Sergeant Joe Friday used to say on the old Dragnet series, just the facts, ma'am. Don't you like that? Let's do that again. Just the facts, ma'am. Well, that's what we have up to this point with this question. Easter changes everything. We have just the facts. The real question, however, is what do we do with those facts? For some, there's not an awareness of a need to change. So listen in to this. If you could change one thing about your life, what would it be? Give me a new house. All you need is a new house and then you'll be happy? Yes. And a job. Quit smoking. But smoking? Is that it? Lose weight? I don't know. What about any uh, internal transformation? Internal? I don't know. Not really. Like find a religion or no, something? Whatever. No, I'm not really looking for religion. What are you looking for? Nothing really. <laughs> is there anything you like to change about yourself? Uh, not that I can think of right now. Perfect as is. Pretty happy the way it is. I got, you know, got the family and not hurting for money or food, so I'm happy. I got my Harley. (laughs) Well, that's the way life goes with a lot of people. Not really looking to change anything. Life's perfect and good, especially if you have a family and you aren't hurting for food or money and you have a Harley. Woohoo! But did you notice the snares we saw there? One woman said the thing she would like to change in her life would be to get a new house. And then she thought about it a little more and said, and the job. Another the fellow said the thing he'd like to change in his life would be to quit smoking, lose weight, but nothing internally. And there were those that said they wouldn't change anything. Life's perfect. It's all good. They couldn't think of anything to change. They aren't considering life's snares. Why? Because it's tough. It's tough to deal with life's snares. But you see, that's what Easter's about. Easter can change everything if we'll just expose those things needing change to Easter. So how do we do that? Well, recount with me the story from Matthew 28th chapter verses 1 through 7. So who wrote this account? Obviously Matthew. He's one of the 12 disciples who was an eyewitness to everything that happened. But beyond Matthew, a reliable Roman Jewish scholar named Josephus, who also lived in the first century, made references to Jesus as well. But this is Matthew said, after the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day, Mary Magdalene, this is the person who Jesus cast seven demons from, and the other Mary, which Mary this was, we don't know because there were so many Marys, it was a common name at the time, but they went to the tomb, and there was a violent earthquake, an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. I mean, think about this. This angel's been in the presence of God in his glory. And I don't know how or why, but kind of like Moses, when evidently you're in God's presence, you absorb some of that glory somehow. And then later you seem to glow somehow white as snow. I don't know how it happens, but we see it again and again. As we continue in verse 4, the guards were so afraid that they shook and they became like dead men. They were frozen with fear, before Frozen was cool. At least the movie was cool. But the angel said to the woman, don't be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. Say the next three words with me. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. Say the next three words. He has risen from the dead. It's true. He's risen from the dead. Jesus was given the power to rise. And I want you to hold on to those words. Hold them in your mind. Power to rise. In fact, say them with me, everyone. Power to rise. Because in 1991, a woman named Ruth Dillow received a personally delivered message from the Pentagon. A soldier delivering it said her son, Blayton Carpenter, private first class, had stepped on a landmine in Kuwait and had been killed. And she said this, I can't begin to describe my grief and my shock. It was almost more than I could bear. For three days, I wept. For three days, I expressed anger and loss. For three days, people tried to comfort me to no avail because the loss was just too great. But after three days, her telephone rang, and it was, of course, her landline. And on the other end of the call, a young man said, Mom, it's me blaton. Uh, i'm alive it was all just a big mistake and so she said uh, i laughed i cried i felt like turning car wheels because my son who i thought was dead was really alive for ruth it was as if her son Blaton was dead for three days and was given the power to rise yet jesus actually was dead and was given the power to rise and you can really feel the pain and the horror and the sorrow in Ruth Diller's words after the apparent loss of her son. But can you imagine the pain and the horror and the sorrow of all the dreams and all the hopes and beliefs of all Jesus' closest followers and friends, how they felt after his crucifixion and his death? Like Ruth, it was overwhelming, inconceivable, unbelievable, crushing death to what they understood and what they were counting on spiritually. But when God imparted to Jesus the power to rise from his place in the grave, Jesus's closest followers felt overwhelming feelings that they had never felt before or imagined they could even feel expressed in the biggest surprise any human being could ever, ever experience. And that was incredible surprise, expressing itself in overwhelming joy and peace and excitement, encouragement and strength, and a power to rise from all that was holding them back and all that was holding them down. And yet, when it comes to Easter, you notice how different our reaction is to Jesus' resurrection from the dead, from his closest followers' and friends' reaction back then? And there's really two reasons for that. We didn't know Jesus personally as a human being in the flesh like his closest followers and friends did. And secondly, we don't have the element of surprise, which helped to very much shape their reaction. We have heard our entire life that Jesus rose from the dead. So hearing that again this Easter, it's not really that surprising to us. But it is the truest essence of Easter that should have us reacting to Easter like these people On the screen, there they are. (laughs) Notice those people, they're jumping up and down, they're screaming, they're clapping, they're hollering. One guy is so overcome by this, he starts picking up another really big guy and carrying him around for some reason. Yes, the truest essence of Easter that should have us reacting like Ruth or like one of Jesus' closest followers or disciples or friends is this, the power to rise. Say that with me. The power to rise. For Jesus, the power to rise was from where he found himself lying there dead in a tomb. And the truest essence of Easter is the reason that we should be over the moon, excited about this power to rise that God gives us. You see, it's the very same power that God gave to Jesus. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20 in the New Century Version tells us this. It says that, I pray that you will understand The incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. The same power to rise that God gave Christ. And this passage says, God gives it to us. Yet we typically see this in only one way. We see this power to rise up. Yeah, we know it's going to lift us up as well. When we die, bringing us back to life again and to heaven with God eternally. But for us, that seems so far off. It's hard to get excited about something like that that's so far out there in the distance. And that's because our understanding of the power to rise, Easter brings us, is primarily in an eternal context and not so much in the current context. And that's where we go wrong. How so? It's right there in Ephesians 1. I pray that you will understand. Why? Because obviously understanding was an issue when Paul wrote this back then, and understanding is an issue for us today. I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us. And what is that power? It's the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The power described here is the power to rise. Rise from whatever place you find yourself. It's the power to rise from anything as simple as you're having a bad day. God says you have his power to rise from a bad day. It's the power to rise above any setback in your life, the power to rise above any disappointment in your life, the power to rise above any loss in your life. When God gave Christ the power to rise from the dead, Jesus didn't focus on the fact that he had been killed on the cross thinking, you know, I really, really hurt when they were driving nails into my hands and my feet. Jesus focused on the power God gave him to rise above all that, and the power to rise all above all the rejection, the pain that he felt during his earthly life and ministry. This power to rise above all that didn't come from Jesus himself. The power to rise above all that came from God. And it's the very same power God wants you to understand very clearly that he gives to you to rise above anything And everything in your life that holds you down, that holds you back, that seems like death to something really important to you. Whatever problem, whatever stress, whatever heartache, God says, stop looking at the downside of it and start looking up and draw upon God's incredible, great, and mighty power to guide you to rise above it. It's not something you do for yourself. That's something God does from you as he did with Jesus' resurrection from his death on the cross. And God wants you constantly aware of that power to rise, his power to rise that he has given you through Easter. If you will accept his son, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior and sincerely ask for the forgiveness of your sins, then God's power to rise becomes your power to rise through him. And although this is less than an adequate illustration, think about it this way. If our thinking Easter is only about God's primary future power coming to us after we die, then it's kind of like seeing the world only in dim black and white, as illustrated by that scene you see there on the screen. Whereas our understanding God's true power imparted to us is for us to rise above everything that happens to us in this world. And then our seeing the world as God intended for us to see it is not dim black and white, as we see on the screen, but rather like the brightest, most glorious colors you now see in that same scene on the screen. And the difference in seeing everything dimly in black and white versus seeing everything in the fullest, brightest, most dynamic color, it's overwhelming. You see, that's what God intended for Easter to be to us, for us to see the world colored in all of its fullness, God wants Easter to be our lens through which we see his power to rise in everything. He wants us to rejoice, be overcome with that every day. It starts with the power to rise every day. Think about this. From unconsciousness and sleep to being awake. And then from rising from our beds to enjoy life every day. And a lot of times that's kind of where we stop. He wants us to continue rising in all things in our lives. It's such a gift. The same power to rise in the resurrection, Easter morning, it's the same power that God gives to us to rise above anything we encounter in this life. Yes, if you choose to see it and you choose to receive it, Easter changes everything. Chris Tomlin has a song called I Will Rise about this power imparted to us through Easter. Listen to its words. So again, as Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, the New Century Version tells us, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. So embrace Jesus. Embrace Easter. Embrace the overwhelming joy of the power that God imparts to you, the power to rise, rise above everything and anything you encounter in this life. That's God's gift to you through Easter, which changes everything. Will you pray with me? Great God, we thank you so much for the gift that you give us in Christ, who came to pay a ransom for our sins, to set us free from the captivity that can overtake us without our even realizing it. So, Father, we just pray that as we understand that as best we can, that we especially understand that you have given us, through that ransom, the power for us to rise, power for us to rise above anything that's, that's got us in this life, that's holding us back, anything that's dragging us down, any sadness, Father, any heartache, any discouragement, help us, Father, to not look down at that. Jesus didn't look down on his hands and feet after he was resurrected, but he looked up to you. Help us to do the same thing, Father, and we will indeed rise up with that same power that Christ had in you. Thank you for that incredible gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.